Welcome to the KPC Podcast. This week's message is from Pastor Steve Keller. All right, very good. Um, I, I am surprised today, I shouldn't be, but I'm often surprised how I will pray and prepare all week long. And, and uh, you know, it is my job to prepare, but only the Holy Spirit can make you ready to preach uh, or do anything for God. And so I've just really prayed a lot about this message And I I was delighted to see that in a couple of the testimonies that got up, some of the core of the message has already been preached. Um, It's pretty neat. The Lord knows what he's doing. So let me just invite you today into into deeper waters in regards to divine sovereignty and human responsibility. And I'm just going to start by asking you if you have ever had an experience that I find myself having from time to time. So if I've already admitted this, it's okay for you to do the same. So the pressure's off. But, but have you ever had time, a, a time in your life where um, you just kind of, you kind of go flat spiritually? Um, you know, a, a season where you just kind of lose steam spiritually. And what I mean by that is like the, the excitement for God, the enthusiasm for God, the, the joy, all that spiritual go get them. It just kind of fizzles out. And it can fizzle out for a lot of different reasons. And, and you can always tell because there are things in life that happen following that. Like, you know, prayer, prayer becomes more of a struggle. Um, you know, ministry kind of becomes a little bit of a drag, and I, I mean, it mean, it feels like you were dragging weight behind you. And even church, you know, coming here and doing the awesome things we did today of worship and prayer, it, it just feels like another obligation in your life. Um, has anybody ever been there besides me on that one? Good, praise God. Okay, I'm not alone. All right, what, the thing about that is if that is more, if it's more than a blip on the radar or more than just a, a few days strung together, um, you can end up feeling like you're in the middle of a Memphis blues song spiritually, you know? I just feel so downhearted. I mean, just all of life feels that way. And listen, if that is you, or if it ever has been you, I've got a prescription for you, okay? Dr. Steve's got a prescription. No, it is not more cowbell. It is actually something. Thank you. Somebody got that. That's awesome. But what it, it, it's something that's actually before us all the time, something that we take for granted, and it is the wonderful, glorious, majestic Word of God. The riches in the Word of God are absolutely astounding. And, and I tell you that for a reason, because I came into our, our sermon series on Romans, and sometimes as a pastor, you just feel like you've kind of been there, done that a whole lot. And, and I wouldn't say I was flat, but just not a lot of energy. As I have done a deep dive exploration every week into these verses, I have felt myself come to life just in response to the living Word of God that just cuts through to the very heart of us. It just, it, it just gets in the middle of our blahs, and I have found myself amazed during this time at the glory and, and just the, the, the beauty of God. I, I have been so deeply touched by the love of God for people and just the mercy. And then, then there's that word we sang today. I don't know if you caught that word, that word that in the English language just goes nowhere for us. But when you apply it to God, it just, it just blows your soul apart, fills your heart right back up, and it's kindness. I have been astounded at the kindness of God for people like you and me. So having said that today, I invite you to approach this text like a dry sponge today and just soak it up. 
Because y'all, this is an encouraging word. Let's pray and then let's get into it. Father God, we rejoice in you. And Lord, we, we just say right along with the psalmist, how pleasant are your words. How pleasing, how fulfilling. Lord, your word is sweet to our tongues. Lord, it's sweeter than honey from the honeycomb to our mouths. And God, from your word, we gain understanding. Father, we know the path to run in, and we are set free to just race in the path of your commands with absolute delight. God, your word is a light. It is a lamp. And Lord, by just meditating on it, Father, we, we find life all over again. So today, would you bring us life through your word? Lord, today, would you light us up in Jesus' name? Fill us to overflowing. We love you. We thank you. We need you. And God, we just bless you. How good and loving and kind you are to us, your church, your children. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, if you have not been here for our, uh, our, our series in Romans, or if you missed last week, um, Paul, Paul has been doing something that, that's, that's a bit interesting. Um, last week, especially in Romans chapter 9, he, he, he began to describe something that to the audience of his day seemed spiritually backwards, okay? So the whole time I'm preaching about something else, everyone who is hearing Paul talk through, teach Romans 9 in the ancient world to them, they're sitting here going, this is all great stuff, Paul, but all of it's backwards. Now, here it is. Paul has been talking about this new God thing, okay? This new God thing called the church. Now, the church, and this will shock you, is made up of people, okay? All kinds of people. Now, so we're talking men, women, young, old, Jews, Gentiles, all kinds of people. And all of these people have been saved by Jesus Christ. And they have come together to form a spiritual family. And so here they are in this thing called the church, and they are all personally growing upwards in Christ. They're becoming more mature, but they're also growing in their witness of Christ out in the world, okay? So Paul describes that, and by the way, that's not the backwards part, okay? The backwards part is that this new church is made up mostly of Gentiles. This is mostly non-Jews. Now, now, and here's the thing with the Gentiles. They are becoming Christians that they are building their lives on Jesus Christ, but until recently, none of these people had any interest in the things of God. They haven't spent their lives in the Word of God. Worship is something that's been foreign to them. They've done their own thing their whole lives, but now here they are. And the church is just filled with these people. The other side of the backwards thing is that that's been happening while the Jews, whose whole life has been about nothing but God, Nothing but the things of God and worship. Most of them, and again, the word is most, most of them are disinterested in Christ. They're on the outside looking in on this thing called the church. And so that brings up a question. And the question is, why the Gentiles and not the Jews? And that is the question Paul is going to answer for us Romans 9.30, all the way through chapter 10. So I'll read you just a little bit. This is Paul writing to us with this question. 9.30 through 10.1. What does all this mean? Even though the Gentiles were not trying to follow God's standards, they were made right with God. And it was by faith that this took place. 
But the people of Israel who tried so hard to get right with God by keeping the law never succeeded. Why not? Because they were trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of by trusting in him. They stumbled over Jesus, the great rock in their path. God warned them of this in the scriptures when he said, I am placing a stone in Jerusalem that makes people stumble, a rock that makes them fall, but anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Dear brothers and sisters, the longing of my heart and my prayer to God is for the people of Israel to be saved. And notice what happens here at the beginning of chapter 10. Paul has repeated what he did at the beginning of 930. He's talking to us again about salvation. Look at where Paul starts. He starts again with compassion. And I've said it three or four times during this series. Any discussion, any teaching, any preaching on salvation ought to always begin with compassion. That's where it starts with Paul. And if you remember what that word means, you know, the word compassion, when we talked through our vision a year or so ago, maybe a little longer, we talked about, about passion, right? Our tagline is what? Passion for God and what for people? Compassion for people. Do you, do you remember how we defined the word compassion? We said that, that, that uh, compassion is more than a feeling, okay? Compassion is love and action. And I want you to hear that this is where Paul is at when it comes to the nation of Israel. He's not just anguished for them, you know? He doesn't just, oh, I wish somehow they'd come to Jesus. Paul's action here is prayer. Here is a man, he is interceding or, uh, for, for, for the nation of Israel. But for now, for this moment, he's left with this backward scenario that he's been teaching us. Tim Keller puts it this way, where the, the, the Jews, the ones who know God the most or know the most about God, they haven't come to know God. While the ones, the Gentiles who know the least about God, have come to know God best. Or as Paul puts it in the analogy he just gave us, God has placed Jesus like a building cornerstone in Jerusalem, and here are the Gentiles. They are building their lives on Jesus Christ. The Gentiles are trusting in Christ and, and, and their shame is just being, is disappearing. They're being, set, they're being set free from disgrace while here are the Jews, and they are just stumbling over Christ. Now, Paul has told us what the dilemma is, okay? He actually just told us what the big problem is here for the majority of the Jews. And, and before we look at that for a minute, I want to ask you a question this is not a trick question, so I'm not going to throw it out there and let you answer the obvious way and then go, oh, no, you're wrong. It's just a straight-up question. Is there anything wrong with the Word of God? Is there anything whatsoever wrong with obeying the Word of God, walking in the path of God's command? Is there anything wrong with that? Good. A little, a little stronger, okay, so you can be confident. Is there anything at all wrong with that? Absolutely not. There is nothing wrong with keeping the Word of God as long as you are trusting in the God who gave it to us. And that's the tragic mistake when it comes to Israel. Paul points it out in verse 32. The Jewish nation at this time, they're trying to get right with God by keeping the law instead of trusting Him. We have a problem here. So they have, have replaced looking to God 
and relying on God with human effort. And so in, in Romans 10, 2 and 4, Paul tells us that, look, while on one hand there is great enthusiasm on the part of the Jews, there, there's tremendous zeal in trying to keep the law of God, all of it, all of it is actually misdirected. It is misdirected zeal because in all of their striving, in all of their religious rule-keeping, they have missed how God makes us right with himself. They don't understand how God makes us right. Instead, they're just clinging to this idea, to this wrong notion that by following the word of God, by just obeying the, letter, the scripture to the letter of the law, God's going to approve them. God is going to accept them on this fact alone. In other words, they believe that they will either save themselves by doing this, or when the Messiah comes, they'll be eligible. You know, the Messiah will run up and go, you, 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 bring, you're all in. They believe that. And so here, Paul says to them, he says to us in Romans chapter 10, Houston, we got a major problem. This will not launch. Verse 4, the problem is this. Christ has already accomplished the purpose for which the law was given. The law's way of making us right, the laws, it, it is fulfilled in Jesus Christ. And so it's not through religious rule-keeping that we're saved. It is through Jesus Christ. It is through Christ and Christ alone. All who believe in Jesus Christ are made right with God. No exceptions, no exclusions. It is Jesus. Therefore, religious works do not save us. They don't save any of us. There's also a, 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 another gigantic issue here with the law, and uh, it's that no human being can keep the law perfectly. Paul points that out when he, when he cites Moses in Leviticus 18.5 and, and the quotation is this, the law's way of making us right with God requires something of us. It requires perfect obedience to every single word, every single jot, every single tittle of the law. And so some of you are already realizing what the problem here is, is that human beings affected by sin, human beings coming after the fall we don't have a shot in hello of pulling it off. We can't. And I said, hello. Y'all got that? All right. We, we, we have no possible way of pulling it off. Again, it's faith. Faith in Jesus Christ. It is not works that save us. And that, that's Paul's point, by the way, in verses 6 and 7. When, when he says something that, that, that just sounds kind of bizarre about uh, pulling Christ down or pulling Christ up, he's saying, look, through your works. You, you cannot pull the Messiah down from heaven. You can't pull him up from the ground again. The point is that, that we cannot save ourselves. There's just no way. Now, having said that, let me just point out something else here. Does that mean, though, if, if we can't save ourselves through the law, does that mean that the law really has no value for us anymore? Have you ever run into Christians who say that? Say, well, you know, I believe in Jesus Christ. I mean, you know, therefore the Old Testament's completely irrelevant. 
You know, the, the Word of God, it didn't have that big a place in my life anymore. It's all grace and, and joy and wonder as absolutely the most false notion in the church. Do you know that the Word of God still has incredible value for the people of God? You know, one thing that the law does, even the Old Testament law, you know one thing it does for all of us? It still points out what sin is. It's a pretty important thing to know what sin is. To know what separates us from God, what brings death and darkness in our lives, the law does that. You know what else the law does that we've pointed out in Romans? The law still, over and over and over again, it points us to Jesus Christ. You can't miss Jesus if you're in the Word, old, new, and anywhere in Scripture. And then after salvation, the law of God tells us what it means to please God how to walk in the ways of God, everything that we need for life and faith and practice to live and to live life to the full like it says on the wall. So this is, this is what's going on here. This is the, the struggle the Jews have. And then Paul goes on in verse 8 to point out that for the nation of Israel, that there's actually an irony in play. You know that their chore list is in their hands. It's pretty close to them. But salvation is even closer to them than their honeydew list. Right? Their spiritual chore list that they're checking off. Salvation, verse 8, is on their lips and it's in their hearts. And Paul's going on to make sure that we get what salvation involves. It involves the lips and it involves the heart. Salvation, says Paul, it involves confession and it involves belief. Verses 9 and 10. If you openly declare right, with the mouth, that Jesus is Lord. And if you believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is only by believing here in your heart that you are made right with God. And it's only by declaring from here with our lips, uh, uh, declaring our faith that we are saved. Verse 11, that's trusting God. The Gentiles are doing it. Salvation Boom, there it is. It's right there before us. So Paul tells us all the way through, the Gentiles, despite not having a great spiritual track record, despite the fact that they can't point back to this gigantic uh, spiritual resume and legacy, despite all of that, the Gentiles have done this. They have trusted Jesus Christ. They are building their lives on the cornerstone. They have a new life in Jesus Christ. And, and what I love so much about that verse is that Paul's very quick to tell us, but you know what? That wasn't just for the Gentiles back in those days. This is for everyone. This is for Jew. This is for Gentile. This is for child. This is for adult, male, female, any ethnicity. This is it. Verse 13, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Isn't that good news? Colleen, it's good news. Amen. And there's another question that kind of pops out here, I think, and, and it, you know, it, Paul doesn't answer it here, but it's answered all over Scripture. And the question is this, why exactly are the Gentiles so open to Jesus Christ? You know, isn't that a great question? I mean, the, the Jews are struggling so much, the Gentiles are just running to Christ in, in droves. Why are they so open? Why are they so receptive to Jesus Christ? Why are they so convertible? Okay? And that's a new word. Make sure you get it right. Convertible. Okay? Otherwise, you're going to see a bunch of pagans riding around with the top down. That's not what I mean. But why are they coming to Christ like, like, like this? You know? And the answer's simple. If you, who's ever spent some time away from Jesus Christ? 
uh, be, beyond real early childhood. I, anybody kind of, okay, what, what, did, were you aware at that time that you were a sinner? Absolutely. You know, the Gentiles have lived their whole life in death and darkness. I mean, you talk about being lost, they get it. You talk about being empty, they get it. You talk about how the thrills of this world don't satisfy, they absolutely get it. These are folks that know they are sinners. They know they've got a need. They know that death is all around them. So what happens? Jesus Christ comes by offering light and life. What do the Gentiles do? They say yes in a flash and they go to him. The other side of this, though, for, for Israel at that time is that well, they, they, they've kind of got the resume. You know, they, they've got the checklist pretty well checked off. They feel like they're doing pretty good spiritually. They are well on their way. And so when Jesus Christ comes as Messiah, he didn't look exactly like what they think. He's offering light and life. For the nation of Israel, it, it's, it's pretty easy to take a pass. You know, they, they feel like they're pretty close. And ironically, it's, well, you know what, Jesus, we're going to wait for the Messiah. Keep going. I mean, the, the irony there. So that's the deal with the Jews and the Gentiles in this church that Paul is talking to us about in Romans 9 and 10. So we've got all them covered. There's only one more group today that we need to talk about. Guess who it is? It's us. Let's talk about us for Where does all of this leave us today? And that is a great question that Paul is happy to answer for the church. Now, believe it or not, I did cover this last week, so I'm going to paraphrase it, all right? Paul throws out some questions now in light of all this for the church of Jesus Christ. Here are the questions. Number one, how are any of these lost souls, whether they're Jews or whether they're Gentiles, how are any of them going to call on Christ for salvation unless they hear the message of Christ? How are they going to do this if they, if they don't hear it? Now, before we can answer that question, Paul throws another one out. And how can they hear the message of Jesus Christ unless someone tells them about Jesus Christ? And then while the ink is still drying on that question, Paul hits us with another one. How can anyone tell them unless they go to them sent by Jesus Christ himself? And just so we know, Paul is so clear to point out that those feet, okay, those Christian feet that take, those, that, take that journey to those lost, empty, broken people, and they tell them the good news about Jesus Christ, Paul says in the eyes of God, those are very, very beautiful feet, so Paul invites us, church, to get some shiny, beautiful, spiritual feet. That's where it leads us. Now, here's the thing about KPC. I think, I think we all know that KPC needs to do some growing. Okay, I got one yes on that. Who, who thinks the church needs to grow? Yeah. KPC needs to grow. Now, we all need to grow individually, you know? Every one of us needs to grow in our personal relationship to Jesus Christ. We never hit that finish line on this earth. We need to grow in Jesus, okay? To lay us into the fullness, the finished product of Christ. We also need to grow as a church. Now, corporately, we need to grow in terms of people. We need to grow in terms of finances. Uh, we need to grow when it comes to internal ministries. You know, things like uh, small group uh, every adult ministry, uh, every, every ministry uh, related to children and uh, to youth. We also need to grow what we do here on Sunday mornings. 
and any other day of the week. I mean, we need to grow in all of those respects. All of that is noble. All of that's good. It's all wonderful. But I will say this, in the end, it is nothing more than misdirected zeal if we forget about salvation. It's just misdirected zeal. And folks, you can see it all over the place in the church. You know, oh, we've got this, 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 and this. How many people have been saved in the last 10 years in your church? Uh, half of a person, I think, maybe once. We've got to be about salvation. In the church of Jesus Christ, regardless of the size or the denomination, to go and reach the lost with the message of Jesus Christ is paramount. The Great Commission for the Church of Jesus Christ has got to be more than a tagline. You know, it's got to be more than, than an occasional sermon series or, 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 you know, just sermon. If we, the church, treat the Great Commission, and I've said this before, but if we treat the Great Commission like a good suggestion instead of our mission, our mandate, why God left us on this earth, we have completely missed the heart of God. We just missed it entirely. You want to know a little more about God's heart? It comes out to us in verse 21. Listen to this. Paul quotes God, speaking to all of humanity, particularly the Jews, but all of humanity in Isaiah 65 too. And it says, and this is God speaking, all day long I have been opening my arms to a rebellious people. Folks, that is the heart of God. You look at this earth, the rebellion. You know, Colleen talked about a few issues of rebellion in her life. We've all got so many. There's so much darkness down here. Folks just pushing back against that. But all day, every day, God's arms are extended to rebellious, lost people. This is the heart of God. For all mankind, for all, for, for all ages, this is God's heart. You know, it sounds a lot like the heart of Jesus, too. You remember what he said about his mission? My mission is to set up a bunch of churches and get a bunch of programs going and to get some offering plates and some pews full, right? It, that, that's what he said. No, he said, my mission. The reason I've come is to seek and to save the lost. And so God saved the church, whether it's KBC or any church in America. God helped the church if we build for ourselves instead a happy, safe empire instead of bringing the kingdom of God to people. So here are our takeaways, okay? Romans 9, Romans 10, just a few things. Number one, we learned a couple of weeks ago, divine sovereignty is absolutely in effect for the people of God. Divine sovereignty means that God orders all things by his will, including salvation. And so salvation, if it happens to us, when it happens to us, it is completely the work of God from beginning to end. You take God out of the equation, there is no way anybody gets saved. Divine sovereignty, this is the work of God from beginning to end. But there's this other thing we've learned about too called human responsibility, okay? Human responsibility means that we have a very real choice in all of this. That we have a very real response to the will of God. And so what that means is that condemnation, if it ever happens to anybody, it's completely on the individual. And I know you go, whoa, paradox. We pointed that out. It's, it's a big one. It's wild. But this is absolutely true. Finally, though, what we learned today is that our connection to God is all about a very, very real relationship. You know, it, it's about lips. It is about lips that praise God. 
confess God, adore God, profess God. It, 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 it's about hearts that are filled with belief and trust and love. For us, this relationship is about open hands that are just ready to receive anything and everything God has for us. And then finally, it's about feet, beautiful feet that go and take the the good news of Jesus Christ through love, through service, through prayer, through proclamation. They carry that message that Jesus Christ saves. You put all that together and you end up with another Tim Keller quote. He says, every human being is responsible for how they treat the word of Christ. And every Christian is responsible to communicate that word of Christ. Romans 9, Romans 10. I hope you all got as much out of it as I did. Let's pray. Father God, we ask you in the name of Jesus Christ, we ask you, Lord, to light us up with this message that we've heard. Father, we thank you so much for for just getting to see who you are. We sang that today. Lord, show us who you are. Father, we thank you that in the word of God, we get to see you and see you clearly. And Lord, I pray that we would be impacted by what we see, that, that, Father, we would step back amazed at who you are. Oh, Lord God, everything in us would just rejoice and grow upwards and overflow as we look at you. And Lord, I thank you that that also in that looking at you, Lord, there's also us. I pray that you would help us to see ourselves. Father, we pray that anything that is in your way, that you would annihilate it. God, that that you would put to death and you would help us to work with you to to crucify crucify our flesh that stands in opposition to you, Lord. And, And God, there are all kind of things that plague us as the church. As 21st century Christians, things like fear and anger, and judgment, Lord, even self-doubt, just getting all wrapped up in ourselves. Father, we just ask you to annihilate that in the name of Jesus Christ. And and God, we, we pray then that you would also just give us your compassion for this world. Father, fill us up with what you feel for lost people. God, I pray that even as a church, we would feel like, even if our church is overflowing with people, we would feel empty without the loss coming into this place, Lord, that we, we've always got room. We, we, we need them with us, Lord God, coming to faith in Christ. God, would you baptize us again in the Holy Spirit as a people? Father, would you empower us? Would, Lord, would you energize us and motivate us and equip us by your Holy Spirit to go? And God, I'll pray something I've prayed before. I, I, I ask, Lord, with all of this done, that God, you would direct us to people. Lord, direct us to the ones out there in our world that everybody else has given up on. Father, would you send KPC to the ones that people have looked at and they've just said, you know what, they're too hard. They're too hard a nut to crack. God, even take us to the ones that nobody else wants. Make Jesus known through this body of believers. Father, we pray that your name would just be spread. Lord God, you would become famous through us as a church. And Lord, I thank you that, that, that God, you have us, Lord God. This is, we are right where we need to be. But Lord, let us respond in faith, in power, in goodness, absolute obedience to you as a people in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to the KPC podcast. For more messages and information, visit kpc.org.